Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a good week. I think we can all assume that we're having a better week than Miss Jennifer Shaw, who is the only defendant left in the case against her. All of the other co-defendants pled guilty and struck deals with the prosecutors. So on March 22nd, when her case goes to trial, she will be the only defendant. And now that everyone else has pled guilty and, you know, decided to cooperate, there's really no incentive for prosecutors to take a deal from her. So she basically has to stick to her plan of going to trial and trying to be found not guilty, which I think will be really hard to do when every other person has pled guilty. Oh my goodness. I, it'll be really interesting to see not her because I believe that she will maintain innocence throughout, including while I believe she will be in prison and then even afterwards. But maybe the other women may finally speak freely because I feel like they're acting as if she's truly innocent right now, which I get innocent until proven guilty, but they're acting as if there is no way she did anything or they're just completely ignoring it. And I find that bizarre. We'll see how they address it at the upcoming reunion. So this week, there wasn't a new Salt Lake City And I had to record early because I am spending the long weekend with my new baby niece and, of course, my brother and sister-in-law. So I recorded on Tuesday. So we only discussed The Real Housewives of Miami and Summer House, but wanted to share just a few brief thoughts on Jersey and the OC of this week. So Jersey, guys, I've always loved Jackie, but I feel like everyone else is finally understanding why I love Jackie and is starting to love her too. I just, she's very honest and I think she's authentic and it's so painful to watch her struggle with her eating disorder. I know that she's been in recovery, but she has said you're never really fully recovered. And she said she lost some weight over the last season and all the stress she was under. And she's crying about it to her husband, Evan, who tells her that their kids are starting to notice her unusual eating habits. Why is mommy having a salad every night? Why does she eat the same food every day? And Jackie seems a little bit shocked about that. I truly believe that for these heart-to-heart conversations, couples that are real talk about it before they actually film what they're going to talk about. But I do feel there was a lot of authenticity to their conversation because it sounds like Jackie had really resisted getting help for a very long time. Then she got help and I think maybe needs to do a little bit more to maintain Uh, a healthier mindset around food. And, and I think she's finally ready to accept a little bit more support. So 
you know, props to her. It's not an easy conversation to have on camera. It's not easy to admit your fault. I mean, I was heartbroken to hear that she's so afraid of gaining weight and is just always hungry and terrified that she'll have a full relapse and and die. So I'm glad that she's um, accepted that there is a problem still and that she you know, is willing to to talk to someone about it. And I applaud Evan for being a, a supportive partner. Speaking of supportive partners, I think Louie did a pretty good job with the Gorgas and Judices this week when he had everyone over for pizza and to discuss their feelings. You know, again, I, I've said before, I'm not entirely sure where things are with Louis. I I have some concerns about the rumors about him, but it appears that he hasn't really done anything that has upset uh, Teresa or her daughters. So, you know, this episode, it seems like he's done some at least seeking in the self-help area. Maybe he's been to therapy, but, you know, he was wanting them to talk about their feelings. And that's not something I think they do very often. I hope they've all been able to get all their feelings out there and can move on from the whole Teresa went to prison and Joe Judice is an asshole, which we all know. Um but, you know, we'll see. I think I may be the only one, but I still enjoy watching the husband's time on Jersey. I don't like it when it's on other franchises because it feels forced. But on Jersey, they really are friends. And, you know, maybe we don't need the scenes to be as long. But it is interesting to see how they interact and how they talked about the situation with Bill and Jennifer. Also, Frank Catania, I feel like maybe, I don't know, were him and Dolores not always in a good place? Were they just sort of co-parenting, but she was really the primary parent? And then when she came on the show a few years back, he agreed to like film with her because it seems as if it's only in maybe the last five, six years that they've maybe been on a better terms with each other because the kids, especially the daughter Gabby, definitely has some resentment towards her father. Now, the whole situation with their housing is confusing to me. So Dolores owns the house. She got it in the divorce, but Frank's the one who paid off the mortgage. Yet Frank is going to move back into said house. And then Dolores has allowed the children to live there because she doesn't want them to have to pay rent. And I get it. Like Gabby just finished veterinary school and that's very expensive. I'm sure she took out some loans and it could be really helpful, but I don't know. I mean, she sounds like, oh, I don't want Frank bringing home, you know, women. And if it's not her home that she didn't pay for, I don't know that she can dictate the terms of who lives there and what they can do with their time. So (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's just me. And I love Gabby. I think she's like one of the most fantastic kids. I think it's so lovely that she became a veterinarian. It's a really hard thing to do. I think it's harder to get into veterinary school than even medical school. So, you know, props to her. It also, I do feel bad for her, though, because Frank Jr. and Frank seem to be they have a better relationship. And I feel like that's based in misogyny. Like, I feel like Frank Catania bonds with his son because his son is hot 
and probably has sex with a lot of women. And that's what Frank like values. So (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he doesn't relate to Gabby and it just seems like their relationship could use some work. And probably that work shouldn't be done while they're living under the same household. So the big drama of this episode was at the frat party that Jackie and Evan threw where Jennifer shows up and she has no one really to support her. Teresa's not there. And Jackie is surprisingly very supportive of Jennifer. And, you know, Jackie had told Jennifer when they were discussing things privately, you know, just so you know, Dolores is a better friend to Margaret than she is to you. And I think she was just confirming Jennifer's suspicions. Like, Dolores acts like my friend, but I don't feel like she has my back. And I don't know why this is such a big deal for Dolores to acknowledge. She is clearly closer with Margaret. They talk every day than she is with Jennifer. But it, like, (laughs) I don't know, unleashes something in Dolores, who is reeling from her breakup with David and she says, you know, to to Jennifer, you know, I don't need to hear it from this kind of alluding to Jackie and Jackie does not take fondly to being called this. And they have this total battle. And I think it's just funny because Dolores years ago said Jackie wasn't cut from the same cloth as them. But, you know, she can like hold her own in a verbal altercation with Dolores. So there you go. <laughs> On the OC this week, we got to see the women get together for lunch at Shannon's. And I feel like they've all just had it with Noella. And I can't tell how much of this is Noella putting on a persona for the cameras or how much this is her real personality. But she is exhausting and definitely centers herself in every conversation. And I can tell why Emily is frustrated with her. Now, Dr. Jen finally opens up about some of her marital struggles. And, you know, I think... It's a it's an interesting thing that Emily pointed out that Noella only seems to be able to bond with other women when they're upset or when they're down or when they're going through something really rough, but can't seem to bond with them in other ways. And I wonder if that's just a product of the timing of where Noella is in her life or if this is just kind of who she is. But regardless... You know, this is definitely the right group of women for Dr. Jen to get support from. You know, Emily and Heather opened up about their marriage struggles and things that they did to turn their marriages around. And Gina and Shannon uh, have been through divorce that has been really difficult. So, you know, there's one of two ways this can go. They can split or they can make it work. And from her time on Watch What Happens Live, it sounds like they separated for a month and then got back together and are doing a lot better. So, you know, more power to them. Now, I know a lot of the viewers still feel like, I don't know, OC isn't good anymore. And I don't know. I think they're having an all right season. I definitely don't hate it. I'm worried that we as viewers expect a certain amount of drama or chaos on a season. And when we don't get it, we say nothing happened. But this past season of The Real Housewives of Potomac didn't have 
like one major storyline or one crazy fight, but I thought it was amazing. And I feel like as long as I enjoy watching it, I'm happy. Now, could they make some casting changes? Sure. Are Emily and Gina good for the show? I'm not sure. I I don't mind watching them, but maybe they would be better as friends of moving forward. Now, what I loved <laughs> was Heather this episode. You know, I've been a little bit critical of her. I find her annoying, but I think she's necessary for the show. Watching her with her family and especially with her daughter, who has recently come out as a lesbian, it was so heartwarming and you see like there's there's heart to her, there's soul to Heather. It's not just about the money. It's not just about having control over everything. She certainly doesn't have control over her kids. And, you know, they in a good way, right? Like they're their own people. And they seem so well-rounded and well-adjusted for growing up in that household with all that money and with cameras, you know? And I, when she had tears in her eyes and talked about children that come out to their parents and aren't embraced by them, you know, and she's like, come, come to my house. Like, you know, I felt that. And I think there'd be a lot of people wanting to go to her house. And I think she's got a lot of room for him. So like, maybe she should, you know, her money where her mouth is and just start like adopting it. LGBTQ kids. No, I I really do uh, appreciate her and what she's trying to do on this show by normalizing conversations about gender identity, sexuality, and all of that with between parents and kids. And a lot of people that watch the show maybe, you know, aren't open to those conversations, but maybe are more open to them after watching. Who knows? The more we can normalize these types of conversations, the better. And the more we can normalize microdosing pot, the better. (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you guys, I loved watching Shannon take an edible. And my favorite part was that she was giggly 10 minutes after, and it takes a lot longer than 10 minutes for the effects of an edible to come in. So like, I think she's just giddy about thinking about getting high. (laughs) And the fact that they bonded Heather and Shannon over this, like, that's so fun. I would watch multiple, you know, episodes and scenes of them being just like a little high together, going on private planes and traveling and just like hanging out in Shannon's living room. And that's exactly some of the silliness that I think that we need from these housewives. So, you know, those are my thoughts. I find Noella incredibly, incredibly annoying. And I know that she's going to come back again. So I'm really hoping that she takes stock of her behavior and maybe just reins it in just a little bit because she could be this perfect like agent of chaos, but I just am so annoyed with her. And that's like how I felt about Bronwyn. It's like, oh, if you could just dial it back a little, like it would be so much more interesting. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this week's show. My guest, Victoria, joins me to talk a bit about Refugee Action Fund. She'd been listening to the podcast for a while and reached out to me and said, you know, she really appreciated how I talk about my dad 
being a refugee from the former Soviet Union. And I was like, come on the show, talk about Refugee Action Fund, and let's also discuss this week's Summer House, which I thought was a really important conversation. And let's go back to, you know, seasons one, two, three, and today of the Real Housewives of Miami. We definitely jump around a lot. So with Miami, we go from like season two, back to four, back to three, back to four. But I think if you guys have been watching this current season, you'll be able to follow all of it. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, go give it a five-star rating and write a nice review. And if you have constructive criticism or just want to chat, you can reach out to me on social media, DM I'm at Mandy Slutsker on Twitter and on Instagram, and I always love hearing from you guys. Hope you have a wonderful week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. I am here with Victoria, who is an avid listener and reached out to me to chat about refugee issues and I said, you know what, you should come on the podcast and, you know, it's out of her comfort zone, but this is a fun and safe and hilarious space. So welcome, Victoria. Hey, Mandy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here, too. So when we first were chatting, you said that, you know, you always remembered when I talked about my dad who came to the U.S. in 1979 as a refugee from the former Soviet Union. And you were saying you're involved in this group that's called Refugee Action Fund. Can you just tell us a bit about what Refugee Action Fund does and what your role is in the group? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's so great to kind of hear you talk about different anecdotes of your dad's life and his journey. Um, it really resonated with me, and it's part of the reason why I love your podcast so much. Um, so thank you again for having me. But um, Refugee Action Fund is a nonprofit whose mission is to help refugees and all sorts of forcibly displaced people achieve safety, dignity, and opportunities to lead productive lives. And what that looks like in action is that we are a grant-making organization. So we serve as a bridge between donors, whether they're individuals or corporations, who want to make a difference in the lives of refugees. Um, and we sort of bridge to these grassroots, community-based organizations who are highly effective, but often under-resourced. So we have a portfolio of grantees who serve lots of different constituents across the refugee uh, population. So... A lot of them, um, we've sort of shifted our mission to focus on underrepresented communities within the refugee population. So oftentimes these groups are denied life-saving services because of their identity, whether they identify as LGBTQ, whether they're Black migrants, Indigenous migrants. Um, we take a really thoughtful approach in our grant making and find these really niche organizations who are making a huge difference, but they don't quite have the international 
prestige or, or notoriety as some of the large organizations. That's so cool. And I told you that the organization that helped to resettle my dad in the U.S. is HIAS, um, yes. H-I-A-S, HIAS. And they have shifted what their mission was, which originally really focused on Jewish refugees, especially in the former Soviet Union. And once a lot of people got out and once the Soviet Union collapsed, they really refocused and broadened their scope. And they do a lot with Afghan refugees and refugees from Central America. And yeah, it's just, it's really cool. If listeners are interested in supporting, you know, refugees in their own communities, what's a way for them to get involved? whether it's yeah. donating financially, donating like things like clothing and, and furniture, or I don't know, engaging directly with refugees when they're resettled in a new community. Yeah. So first of all, I would definitely say you should check out Refugee Action Fund. Um, I'll send you all of the information about where to find us. But um I think the biggest thing is awareness. And that's, like I said, one of the reasons why I love the commentary that you give, um, whether it's about your dad or, or, you know, the events that are happening in Afghanistan, just bringing awareness to refugee causes is really important because only 1% of U.S. philanthropy supports immigrants and an even smaller percent of that uh, supports refugees. So having an awareness of the issue of 80 million people being displaced around the globe um, is really important. But if you want to think about ways that you can get involved in your community, there are lots of organizations who are working to provide housing. Um, so, I mean, that might seem like a lot, but if you have space in your home where you could host someone who's being resettled, um, Mandy, you mentioned donating furniture or basic necessities. Um, those are really great ways to get involved too. And um, I think, again, just awareness and, and making place in your heart for this issue and kind of advocating with your legislators to, you know, understand the humanity behind this issue is is really important. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting. Once, you know, my parents got together and my mom was an American citizen and my dad was a refugee, she got really, um, she was really into the cause and her parents were really active and trying to get Jews out of the Soviet Union. So they were, you know, fundraising for that. They were engaging, you know, in a lot of different ways. And one thing my mom was really into because she was a social worker was actually meeting with refugee families when they came to Minneapolis. Uh, and Minneapolis was, you know, has been kind of a refugee haven for a lot of different groups. And so we used to meet people and like, bring them things to get to know Minnesota, and like how to do grocery shopping, and, you know, just things like that. It was really, um, really a transformative experience for me, seeing her give back to the community, knowing what was done for my dad when he came yeah, I think another thing too that people don't always think about is getting people to safety is such an important part of helping the refugee community. But beyond that, there's so much support that's needed once people actually resettle and um, try to integrate integrate into their new communities. So one thing that I did with one of our grantees called um, the grantees called Upwardly Global, I did a mock interview with a refugee who was 
resettling in Chicago and trying to interview for jobs. So, you know, if you don't have the financial resources to donate um, or space in your home, there's also tons of ways that you can give your time to support this community who really has so much to add to the American culture. I mean, I think what makes this country great is differences of opinions, difference of differences of culture and background and being able to learn from one another. So you never know, you just might learn something from that experience and giving your time. Yeah. Plus, refugee and immigrant communities provide amazing food for whatever oh city you live in. Yeah. So I'm in DC. We have a large Ethiopian community here, an Eritrean community. So the Ethiopian food is just like- unreal. Absolutely amazing. Um, in Minneapolis, you can get amazing Somali food. You know, there's a lot of people who are Hmong. Everywhere you go, you go to New York, you can find anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's what's so cool, you know? Yeah. One of the partners that we work with for our annual benefit every year is this company called Eat Off Beat. Um, and they're based here in New York, but they ship all around the country. And they are basically this huge kitchen in Long Island City that has all of these visiting chefs who are refugees and they have all different kinds of food and you can order boxes of prepared food and they'll overnight it to you. You can do snacks. They do like holiday boxes and stuff. Um, It's a really cool company. You can also order for delivery in New York, um, but definitely check them out if you're looking for some great refugee food. Amazing. So we've talked about refugees a bit, and I don't want to continue talking about things that are political, but I feel like I have to because of the news that we have been hearing from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So they just wrapped season 12, which feels like it just started filming. So that's crazy. They got like enough footage for a season that quickly. But it sounds like a lot of the drama seems to be around Kathy Hilton. And there are apparently two things that she's done that uh, upset other members of the cast. This is all allegedly. These are all rumors. I don't know anyone on production. Just making it clear. But she apparently called a gay man who was either working for someone there or a DJ she called him the F word, the, a gay slur. And then <laughs> she missed the finale filming because she was at a Donald Trump Super Bowl party. Um, and Lisa Renna is going after her on Instagram. So two questions. One, <laughs> what do you make of all of this drama surrounding Kathy Hilton? And two, do you think Lisa Renna is going to have a redemption season for season 12? Well, I think, first of all, while, you know, I might not agree or ever be caught dead in attendance at a Donald Trump Super Bowl party, I don't think that attending that in and of itself or, you know, voting for Donald Trump, I don't think it, you know, automatically condemns you to hell. I think people have, um, you know, certain reasons that maybe I don't agree with, but um, that in and of itself is is not really cause for the most alarm. I think it's the first thing that you mentioned and um, maybe some of the, uh, maybe I'll say lack of awareness around, you know, issues that came up with Crystal and Garcelle in the last season. Um, that That's a little upsetting. I think Lisa Rinna is my least favorite one on <laughs> Beverly Hills. So it's hard for me to say something nice about her. Um <laughs> 
Yeah, Question, I don't has know. She it, it, it's always been your least favorite, or has she become your least favorite during the last few seasons? She was just so annoying the last season. Um, I feel like she. There have been other other issues that have taken the center stage in other seasons, but the way that she acted with the Erica thing this year, it just. She's just so annoying. Like she just. I really didn't want her to come back, honestly. And I was really bummed when she did. <laughs> I used to love her. Like, she was one of my, I would say, top three housewives going back, like, seasons five, six, seven of Beverly Hills. I just, I thought she didn't take herself too seriously. And then something happened, and it got a little bit darker. It reminds me a little bit of Margaret on Jersey, where she came in a lot lighter, laughing at herself, poking fun. And now she seems like to be out for blood. And I'm not entirely sure like why she's so angry. Yeah, she's got a little bit of a seniority complex, if you will. She feels like she's earned her stripes. Yeah, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, she feels like she's earned her stripes and can push people around and be the villain and I don't know. This doesn't really seem like there's a ton of humility there. And again, with the Erica thing, I just really didn't like the way that she acted with all of that. You know, and there's one thing to attend Donald Trump's Super Bowl party. It's nothing to miss the season finale filming. Oh, I guess I didn't put that part together. But (laughs) honestly, you know, in in the first season, I maybe would have given Kathy a pass. She's a little bit like Mary uh, Cosby from Salt Lake in the sense that she's sort of on her own schedule, on her own agenda, on a different page of, of all of us. But yeah, I, I feel like she really came into herself in sort of a sophomore slump sort of way from uh, from what I've heard, you know, coming in a little too hot, being a little too full of herself holding out on her contract negotiations. Um, yeah, I, uh, not great. Not great. Yeah, we I mean, we all fell for it. We all I mean, I shouldn't say we all but I really enjoyed her as just a fun oh, side character this past season. <laughs> but yeah. if it's an act, I don't know, I think I still enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I think so too. Highly entertaining. Um, Another thing I really enjoy, and we've talked about this before, is Summer House. I think it is one of the best shows on Bravo. And I know not all of you listen, and most of you listen to this podcast uh, just to get kind of talk about housewives. But we're just going to dive into Summer House just a little bit before we do the deep dive on Miami, because this week's episode, I just... I feel like it's worth talking about. So um, the main kind of gist of the episode is that, well, actually, (laughs) let's go back to the beginning. So it was this group of friends that would go out to the Hamptons and have a summer house where they would go on the weekends and then go back to the city and work during the week and again back on the weekends. And each year, they kind of switch up the cast a little bit. There tends to be a big core cast and then a few new people each season. And each season, maybe one person or two people fall off. 
And so it's always been interesting to see how the new people integrate uh, to this dynamic. And what they can't really say is that they've been basically cast to be on the show. They're not always these like natural friends. And Maya is one of the new people on the cast and new in the house. And she also happens to be a black woman. So now she's one of two black women in the house, Sierra being the other. And so... This week, she basically has kind of had it with everyone. There was a number of microaggressions and kind of just not nice things happening to her. And she had a great heart-to-heart with Sierra where they both talked about being black women that grew up in predominantly white spaces and always were struggling to fit in. And they were kind of feeling those things in this experience living in the house. But also the Hamptons are a very white space in general and so it's not even just the house it's it's the whole experience being there so what were your thoughts on on maya on the conversation with sierra on you know the way Lindsay behaved the way um andrea behaved i don't know share it all Yeah. I mean, I think like my first take of Maya is that I absolutely love her. I think she's been such a great addition to the cast for this season. I see a lot of myself in her. Um, Her like cleaning up the kitchen at two in the morning is something I would totally do and fully support that. Um, (laughs) And I think she just brings this warmth and great energy to the house. Um, This week was really heartbreaking to sort of watch the way that she was just hurt hurting. Um, And again, I see a lot of myself in that, you know, obviously I'm not a black woman. I, I, but just basic level feeling a little bit excluded. She's such a great girl. And, you know, I I totally understood where she was coming from when Lindsay was like, Oh no, you can't come with us. And, And I get why Lindsay was doing it, but I don't know. Like it just felt like one of those things I've been in those situations where, you know, you could just bring her and and see what happens, you know. And I didn't really pick up on it until this episode. But yeah, I mean, there's the Sierra and Paige of it all snuggling in bed all the time. And, and she's not really a part of that. And I myself am an only child. And so I sort of enjoy my alone time and tend to get a little bit overwhelmed by these really extended periods of time with big groups of people and drinking just sort of makes it depressing in and of itself. Um, so I love her. I relate to her. It was super, super heartbreaking, um, to just watch that conversation first between her and Sierra on the beach. Um, but at the same time, I was really happy that they had each other there for them. Because I think if you think about casts like Beverly Hills, where, um, you know, in Garcelle's first season, she was sort of on an Island by herself and didn't really have that support, um, Ciara, I think, is another person who has is having that sophomore slump where they're feeling themselves a little bit too much. But this episode really brought me around on Ciara because I think the way that she was able to act as a voice for Maya was really um, courageous and important. And um, I think it really showed true friendship. And I was I was proud of the way that she stood up um, for Maya. And then last thought, I mean, this conversation, I think Ryan Bailey said it best. This is the best conversation that we've had on race on Bravo. I think that people 
were totally shocked and sad, just look, you know, looking at the camera panning around the room, people's reaction. But I think they got it. And I think they listened. And I think Sierra and Maya's courage in bringing up this really tough topic just made the whole group better. And the episode was just, it ended on such a warm note. And um, I'm really happy with the way that it went. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like it was a good conversation. It was interesting to see everyone's reactions. And I think what really was interesting in the beginning was watching Lindsay be excluded, like exclusive. And I think she didn't realize what she was doing, but she's so boy boy crazy right now and so focused on trying to... I think personally, like mask or distract herself from the miscarriage that happened only two months earlier. And so I think she's just, she's like, oh, this guy invited me and I can only add one more person and we have to go because there's this guy and he's giving me attention. And she's just not paying attention to her surroundings and not thinking about how it makes others feel. And I really hope this was like a wake up call for how she should be as a friend and as a castmate, you know? And then with Andrea, I think he was just not realizing. He's just zeroed in on Paige. He is obsessed with her in kind of a weird way. And I can't tell if he's actually obsessed with her or obsessed with how he's going to be shown on the show with her. It, like I can't quite get a sense of like who he is as a person and yeah and I think what he did was really disrespectful both like not calling Maya by her name confusing her name although Paige confused Maya and Sierra at one point as well which was pretty cringy and then also when he brought Paige and Sierra coffee in bed and then didn't immediately leave to go get a cup of coffee for Maya. It's like, what are you doing? She's there too. You're literally acting as if she's not there. And that, and and he said, he was like, I'm sorry. I'm like very focused on what happened in Vermont. And that was what we did in Vermont. And, you know, but I just appreciated also that in that conversation, like Maya wasn't very accusatory. She's like, listen, this is just what's happening and this is how I'm feeling. And that's whether good or bad, that's like the way that makes people more receptive to what you're saying. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I think she, again, I just want to applaud her courageousness and, you know, it's not easy to have that kind of conversation in a group of 10 people that you don't really know that well, let alone knowing that it's going to be on national television. I really applaud her approach in helping people understand it. And something that Kyle said um, really resonated with me that he said, like, we as white people need to do more and, and sort of be aware and kind of go out of our way to at least until we can act in a way where We can treat everyone with the respect that they deserve. You know, we need to go out of our way and be really conscious of this. And um, the burden really is on us. And the hug at the end, like I just keep replaying it in my mind. It was so wonderful. And I think the telling thing will just be to see how this plays out over the next couple of episodes. I really hope that they all take it to heart and internalize it. And, um, you know, like I said, it really broke my heart that Maya was feeling this way because I think she's such a wonderful addition to the show. And um, I'm excited to see her through the rest of the episodes. 
And also, I just appreciated that she had the like wherewithal to like talk about it because a few seasons ago we had Jules who was feeling the same way and was awkward and wasn't feeling like she fit in and she was like acting extra to try and fit in and it was making everyone else kind of pull away from her even more and if he if she just sat down with the group the house and was like hey this is how I'm feeling and really explained herself, I do think it would have had a different outcome, truly. And I think Maya is one of the most emotionally mature people we've seen on the show. But also, these this cast has matured over the years. Like, we, we like to say, you know, the Vanderpump kids are permanently, like, fuck-ups. But, and maybe they are, but, like, with Summer House, we've seen Carl mature. We've seen Kyle mature. We've seen Lindsay mature. It, it, like, and I'm not saying that they're, like, fully actualized human beings in Maslow's hierarchy or whatever. It's just we've seen growth and we've seen them, like, a trajectory. And so I yeah. felt like they were uniquely ready to absorb. Plus, we heard from Alex finally you know, something other than talking about broccoli and ground turkey. Ground turkey. <laughs> <laughs> he said that when they had the 4th of July party, that people at the party assumed he was the help and that he's always just been trying to, I guess, like fit in, but he just wants to be able to be himself and he wants the privilege afforded to every white member of the cast. Like, I just want to be myself and be judged just for who I am, not what I look like, not my heritage. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, it goes back to the importance of, you know, adding one minority member to a cast, checking a box is not going to get us the conversations and um, the understanding that we need. You can't just sort of add a minority and send them out on an island to fend for themselves. Um, I think, Part of what makes this cast so great is the, the addition of these new people who can bring these perspectives and learn from one another. I think it's so important. And it's interesting that Di- Danielle, the only Hispanic member of the cast, never felt comfortable bringing up these issues until it was brought up by Maya. And exactly. so it's just bringing up more of these conversations. Yeah. And while we're on Danielle, I also love her. I'm obsessed with her. I think <laughs> she so is, you know, she's a team player who maybe doesn't get the the score the goal, but she's always on the assist in bringing content to Summer House. And she also just recently moved to Williamsburg, which is where I live. And I just am obsessed with everything about her. <laughs> she's great. Although I'm not entirely sure what her app is supposed to be about and why she's throwing all of her money into it. But I'm hoping we'll hear more. I I always get nervous when people are like, oh, I'm going to go like, it's like, I, I, I love people being entrepreneurs. It's just hard for me to understand what this is. Like I get what Loverboy is. It's a product. You drink it. You buy it. You have like sweatshirts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it was cool that her and uh, her and Kyle had that conversation on the beach about being entrepreneurs, especially, you know, keeping in mind 
the conversation that Kyle and Amanda had and Kyle sort of blaming his drinking on being under a lot of stress from the startup, yada, yada. I thought that was a really interesting conversation on the beach. Um, but I mean, think about it. You know, she's at a point in her life where she's been in the fintech industry for a few years. She's probably made a good, made good money for herself. COVID has made so many people rethink their goals and dreams. And, you know, she's got summer house and being an influencer to follow, fall back on. So if I were in her position, that's a good point. I'd probably do the same thing. Can you explain to me as someone who is in New York, what fintech is? (laughs) (laughs) No idea what she's talking about. Is it financial technology yeah so think of like (laughs) think of like you know the app uh, mint that lets you link all of your bank accounts and track your spending like that's an example of some sort of financial technology um so what she was doing probably was you know she was a product manager helping design a project product um sell it make a strategy etc etc but i mean she seems so smart and so cool. And I totally want to be her best friend. I I love Danielle. I think she's absolutely amazing. And hope all of you who aren't yet watching Summer House, do yourself a favor and watch. Please. Like go back to the <laughs> beginning. It's worth it. It's worth That's it. That's what I'm doing now. I'm, I've gone back to the beginning. Having Peacock is such a game changer. You can watch all this stuff without commercials. It's amazing. I love Peacock. This is not well, mad. <laughs> Well, this is a good segue to the Real Housewives of Miami because I spent the last month, maybe six weeks or so, on Peacock watching Real Housewives of Miami season one all the way through this latest season. And I know it's been a while since you've seen it, but wanted to talk through the first three seasons and some of the stuff and then get your thoughts on what's happening now. So... Season one, there's not a whole lot to say other than it was clearly the Leah Black show. So Leah, Adriana, Alexia, and Marisol were on, plus Larsa Pippen and Christy Rice, who left after the first season. And I just don't think there's a whole lot to say. (laughs) They were doing these weird cooking things. Do you remember? They would like go to each, they would hire a chef to come teach them to cook something. And it was clear that it wasn't meant to be filmed as a housewives. And so you like, it, which is like most season ones, right? We watched season True, one yes. from Potomac and it wasn't initially a housewives. And, you know, so. <laughs> I feel like I have some some vague memories of, you know, aprons with people's names on them in cursive yeah. and the chef hats <laughs> that they wore for like a second. And they're like, oh, this is going to mess up my hair. <laughs> <laughs> they all looked so good. Those women looked I mean, so good, and it makes me really sad <laughs> how much. I think they're the hottest franchise, for sure. They're very attractive, but the amount of plastic surgery, like, I did not recognize Larsa Pippen. I truly was like, wait, that's Larsa? What happened to her? And I went back, and I was like, what has she done to herself? And of course, she's beautiful, right? But she was beautiful before, yeah. Lisa's lips are what I get really stuck on. Her nose. It was this gorgeous, like, long, thin nose that was very unique. And then she just changed it to look like everyone else's nose. Yeah. Ugh, okay. I should. I try not to be I know. judgmental, but I am. I'm judgmental. Anytime someone 
goes under the knife for a cosmetic procedure, I judge a little bit because they're taking a risk with their life going under anesthesia and something could go wrong. And some of these procedures are really dangerous. Others aren't so dangerous. But anytime you're talking about liposuction, anytime you're talking about a BBL, like it's it's (laughs) it's it's like, is that really worth it? You know? Yeah. But Crazy. at the same time, I'm sure they also have their own body dysmorphia issues. <sighs> okay. It also pisses me off how people are like, Adriana looks so different. She actually doesn't. She just has lighter, a different color hair, which sort of washes her out. And then she gained weight. That's literally yeah. what it is. It doesn't look like she actually had work done. So. Well, maybe she had good work done then. Or maybe. <laughs> That's so true. So season two added Lisa Hochstein, Joanna Krupa, Karen, and Anna. Okay, so here's – and then in between seasons one and two, Alexia's son Frankie had that bad accident. So she was a friend of um, – I felt like season two was all about Elsa, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Mama Elsa, she was just hilarious. She really was. She really was. I love how they're still paying tribute to her in this season. And um, I loved how Marisol brought the picture of her for the bedside table in the Hamptons. It was really sweet. I have a hot take. Give it to me. I don't think Marisol is anything without Elsa. I don't know if that's that hot of a take. Oh, do people think that? (laughs) Well... I have no idea. I mean, I can't say that I personally have a strong opinion, but there were rumors when Miami got put on hiatus that, you know, it was because Mama Elsa was no longer around to be this sort of extraneous cast member who really carried the show. I mean, these are just speculations and, you know, there were a lot of factors, but I have heard that one thrown out there. Yeah, and it's just there's not a whole lot to her life that she shared, at least, right? So, like, what's going on when she got married to that guy? I don't remember his name. And then they were, like, going to get divorced the the next year. Like, why were they getting divorced? Why were they getting married? Like, what is going on in her life? What happened to her in her life that made her want to date younger men? That was something she said. Like, what is it? Like, I felt like I didn't know anything about her. Yeah, I mean, for me, her only thing that she's bringing right now is, again, this seniority complex that she's better than all of these new people and they need to play by her rules. I don't don't know. She's being a little bit catty for me and I'm not really loving her this season. Plus, she's just this like defender of Alexia as if Alexia needs defending, as if she can't fend for herself. And then Alexia is one of those people that acts as if everything happens to her and she's a victim of circumstance rather than she puts herself in positions and makes decisions that ultimately backfire. I feel like the only thing that happened in her life like that was beyond her control was the accident with Frankie, but how she's responded to it. I mean, (laughs) and I love watching her. I find her fascinating she's beautiful i think she's a caring and compassionate person but she chose to get involved with a man who is very involved in drug smuggling and she had two children with him 
uh, the second child, she knew he was doing this. I mean, she covered for him when, when, the, when the FBI or the feds raided, you know. And then with her second marriage with Herman, it appears that she was really looking the other way as long as she was taken care of financially. And then with her son, Peter, he was like not – I mean, he showed lack of empathy from, from season one. Like he wasn't – showing respect to her as his parent. He was just acting in a way that made me nervous the whole time. And now we find out that he allegedly assaulted his girlfriend and they're witnesses. And I feel like she just always makes excuses. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like, I feel like I have a bit of sympathy for her as, as a mother. I don't know. The, the, the earlier episodes with, the conversation with Frankie and Peter is her other son, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and her new husband. I mean, that was tough, but I get where her husband is coming from in saying that she needs to be harder on him. You know, she needs to do this. She needs to take better care of Frankie, etc. But at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know. I just have a lot of sympathy for her or empathy. I don't know which which is the right term, but. I feel for her and I think it's probably a really hard situation to be in as a parent and to be bringing uh, sort of this new partner into your life who, I don't know, it's not really his right to tell her how to be a mother though. Although he might be right in some ways. I mean, he he wasn't saying that he had the answers, but he was saying that he thought that they needed counseling. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And that was something that I felt, felt like why wait have they not done that yeah yeah as a family and then when a new person comes in in a situation that has a lot of tension it's also a great idea to do family counseling so yeah. i didn't think he was it's also his house where this happened right like he pays yeah. for that house they're living and those kids are living there And, you know, I'm sure he has like a set of rules that he expects as long as they live in his house. So I don't know. I sided with him completely. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like he was harsh at times where he could have been calmer. It was more of his approach, but not what he was trying to make So maybe my advice to him would be (laughs) to deliver messages like that in a way that the people who are receiving them want to hear it. And while this is something that I've had to work on recently in in my life is like, even if you might not be uh, delivering it as punctually as you'd like to be, sometimes you have to say things in a way that the receiver will hear them and internalize them. And that wasn't the right approach that he took, I don't think. Part of me wonders, though, has he tried in other ways and it wasn't getting across until he yelled? And I'm yeah. I'm not an advocate of yelling or screaming, but I feel like Alexia is just not getting it with regards to Peter and how his behavior is not acceptable, period. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happened with Frankie. It's not an excuse for Peter's behavior. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of seems like one of those kids that, I mean, he's an adult, but, you know, always a kid of, of your mother that might be a little bit, I don't know, too far gone to, to really like rein him back in. And 
that's got to be hard. And maybe she's kind of accepting that and, and understanding that and processing it in her own way. But yeah, it, it's not good. And it's really inexcusable. Yeah, well, it just makes me so sad. Um, so we got Lisa in season two, Lisa mm-hmm. and Kenny. And I was a fan of them because Kenny or Kenny, Lenny <laughs> uh, <laughs> also was a refugee from the former Soviet Union. And I loved the times when his parents were in and they came back this season to film as well. And they all left, I think, around the same time that my dad did. So he was younger when he moved. Um, But his parents were, you know, full adults with with the family that that moved from the Soviet Union to the U.S. I didn't realize that. Thinking about reaching out to him. I don't know if that's like creepy and being like, when did you come here and because there is a really unique window of time in which refugees were able to get out that were Jewish from the Soviet Union. I didn't know he's this like apparently Trump supporter and hates masks and throws these crazy parties or whatever. But I'm just interested in his like experience. And then Lisa is from Canada. Of all places. Wow, a worldly couple, I guess. <laughs> She, I thought, was really sweet season two when she came. Yeah. I have a really hard time with um, men who make their wives feel bad about not being able to have children. I, it really yeah. gives me the ick. And so I have a bit of a bad taste in my mouth from that whole thing. And it seems like this emotional affair that she talked about maybe had something to do with that. And that makes me feel very yucky. That was a really interesting storyline in general because I took it a little differently. I took it as they had exhausted all their options and he was ready to look into surrogacy. N- not exhausted all their options, but she had been through so many miscarriages that and they even had a surrogate who miscarried but i think they wanted to during that season he was basically saying i think season 3 it was let's let's try with the surrogate and mm-hmm. she was grappling with the fact that like she wanted to be the one to carry the baby Got it. and yeah. he was not being a great partner in understanding the pain that she was going through, trying to grapple with the fact that she may not be able to carry the baby. Yeah. You know, but I, that might be it for sure. But I think he was one, like, he's kind of like, I'm a doctor. I get it. Like, this isn't working. We got to go to the next option. And she was like, maybe not ready to go to that option. That's what I took from it. But it's also hard to know. It was amazing watching these intimate conversations really playing out. I I felt like we don't really, it always to me feels on housewives when they have a conversation about fertility or something like that. It's usually, Oh, we've had this conversation before. Now we're just doing it in front of the cameras. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell if they fell into that or if this was legitimately them having that conversation. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, You definitely might be right about that. I I just like, I don't know. The, I don't know. I don't, I don't love them. I'm not loving them. I get bad vibes for whatever reason from them. I I really liked her seasons two and a half, 
maybe like towards <laughs> the end of three, she wasn't great. But you know, I'm still enjoying like the her of season two. Now, um, Joanna Krupa was, <laughs> we've not seen a housewife like that in a while. Like she put it all out there and made herself look terrible in so <laughs> many situations. And then she went and did it all again and for an entirely other season. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? You're going to have to jog my memory a little bit on what exactly she was doing. I, I can't say I remember it that well. She just, like, was – I found her just really annoying. So she's very beautiful. She was having problems with her boyfriend, her fiancé, Roman, and he wasn't getting along with her sister, Marta. And – she kept on being like, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle. Oh, just get along. This is so hard. And it's like you're putting yourself in the middle and you're creating the situation by having all three of you live together. And you're not uh, trying yes. to solve any of this. You're just complaining the entire time. And then in season three, she basically chooses Roman. They plan on getting married and her sister Marta gets up moves out and gets her own relationship and isn't at Joanna's beck and call every time. So when she wants to go try on wedding dresses in LA, right, an entire coast away, Marta doesn't just drop work and everything in her life to go be with Joanna. And I felt like she just seemed like she had very poor communication <laughs> skills. Like she also was just not empathetic at all to others. I don't know. There was something about her that just she's like missing a sensitivity chip. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, she has made it very clear that she was not interested in coming back. So maybe good riddance then, I guess. Well, another person who didn't come back was Leah Black. And we need to, this has basically been the first three seasons were the Leah Black show and everyone else was just along for the ride. So it's interesting to see season four where there isn't an established queen bee. Yeah, I mean, I think like that's a lot of the storyline that's been going on over the past couple of episodes. I think it really came out in the Hamptons this whole dichotomy between the OGs and the newbies. I think Marisol is trying to play that queen bee. I think she's propping up Alexia to try to play that queen bee. She's almost upset with people like Alexia, like um, Lisa, when they aren't throwing those punches and, and being that queen bee. And I don't know. I Part of me, I played sports my whole life. I get the whole seniority and earning your stripes side of things, but that doesn't really give you an excuse to treat people, I don't know, treat people without respect, I guess. So there's there's a lot of that going on right now. I'm definitely interested to see the reunion and how after watching the episodes and seeing the audience reaction to people like Gertie, people like Nicole, people like Julia, if Marisol is finally going to give in and like let them be on the show. <laughs> it's, it's like she, I mean, it's literally letting them be on the show. But she's not even a housewife. She's a friend of and they're housewives. And so why is she behaving this way? And Alexa, Alexia is so focused on her own bullshit 
that she won't ever call out Marisol. I don't think because she is afraid of calling out Marisol. She's just so far up her own ass. (laughs) Well, keep in mind to play the devil's advocate here. They didn't necessarily know who was going to be full time and a friend of when they were filming this. So this was kind of a tryout and they didn't even let's pause it to say they didn't even know if this show was going to have legs and really, you know, hit Bravo. I guess now it's on Peacock, which again, I love, but you know, they didn't know. And so it was sort of like a tryout. And um, I guess in that sense, Marisol understood the assignment, but now the way that it's been edited and the position that she's in, she looks kind of silly. She does. And you're so right. They put them in the situation, I think, to create tension, like production Absolutely. did. Like, we're going to get all these women, and none of you are going to know if you're going to be full-time housewife or a friend of. And Marisol and Adriana, I think, assumed they would be full-time. Assumed, And I yep. think Adriana had more of a reason to assume, because she was always full-time for the first three seasons. That was not the mm-hmm. case for Marisol. So... Mm-hmm. um. Let's get into Adriana for a moment. So she is one of those people who I find incredibly charming and funny one moment and beyond annoying the next moment. And it's it's wild. But it's so rare to see a housewife that's just willing to say things unfiltered. Truly. Truly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm loving her. I mean, I'm loving all of them, really. Um, but yeah, in some ways, she's a bit of a Jen Shaw, where she, you know, is here, she's charismatic, she's bubbly, she's the life of the party, and then bam, all of a sudden, she's screaming at you. Um, I do think in this past episode where uh, her and Kiki and uh, Larsa were at lunch and she was really pushing Larsa's buttons. That was, <laughs> I mean, Larsa's being annoying, but clearly there's a bit of trauma there. Maybe trauma is a strong word, but clearly something happened and she's upset and embarrassed by it. And Adriana is just mentioning it all um and so she makes her a great housewife that's for sure but um I appreciated it because you know what Larsa is trying to be on the show as if it's keeping up with the Kardashians and she thinks she can show up when she wants and talk about only what she wants and she sets the rules and she has the most Instagram followers and so everyone should be kissing her ass she's not actually friends with these women She left the show after season one and didn't remain friends. The rest of them remained actual friends with each other, whether or not that was an alliance to try and get Bravo to bring the show back or whether or not they actually felt an affiliation to each other. I don't know. But Larsa went off and did her own thing. And now she's back. And what? You're not going to ask questions? You changed your entire body an entire face to look like Kim Kardashian. And you were like her best friend. And then you had a like public falling out. You think people aren't going to ask about that's the only interesting thing about you. That and that you're the only interesting things about Larsa about who she's affiliated with, because she's not telling us anything about herself. That's unique. That's different. It's 
oh, my husband is Scottie Pippen. My ex-best friend is Kim Kardashian. Her ex-husband is Kanye West. Like, none of it is, who are you? Yeah. It's it's almost like these housewives who have this big secret or this big skeleton in the closet who come on somehow delusional and confused that this is not going to get out. But it's, in other ways, the opposite of that because it's so public and she thinks she can come on and just not talk about it. Um, it's a, it's a little bit of that classic housewife delusion, if you will. I bet she signed an NDA though, so she can't legally Mm. talk about them. So that's probably why she's uncomfortable and is like, please stop mentioning this. I can't talk about him. You know, it's also interesting that this is all happening in the midst of Kanye's like very public mental health crisis and very public abuse of Kim Kardashian that's happening right now. Yeah, that's a good point. She she probably did sign some sort of NDA and it's clearly that's I didn't think about that. That's a good point. That's what I thought made her uncomfortable, not you know. I just thought it was sort of one of those things that was maybe embarrassing for her because she put on this perception of having this life and being friends with these very famous people and that all dissolved. And so, like you said, now who is she? What does she bring to the table? I don't know. It she felt has like a way of thinking she can get away with not talking about things. And I think she's right because she's getting away with not talking about things. Like, who is that guy? Um, Malik Beasley? Is that it? Or mm-hmm. no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah. That's that sounds name? right. I don't know. I Dang. can't remember that. It was like a 24 year old like Minnesota Timberwolves player and in who was in a relationship possibly engaged I can't remember and like picked up and left the girlfriend and was gallivanting around with Larsa and they were like pictured holding hands at the airport and traveling together and there's a 20 year age gap and I don't mean to to shame that but I do if you have a son that is that age like that is weird 24 yeah. is not that different from 22. No. And isn't that yeah. what how old her son is? I do think about her kids in a lot of this. I mean, they must have gone through a lot with the way that they grew up and the lifestyle that they lived. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I am thinking about them a lot. I sound like I don't like Larsa. I actually find her pretty funny. And <laughs> like, it's just... I find it frustrating because I do feel like there is something about her that's so fake and I just don't have the patience. It's like, show us who you are. Stop putting up this facade. And yeah, she's she's very judgy, very judgy. Like the comment about Nicole, that was really uncalled for. And I mean, you know, I'm not judging her, but it's not like she's living this chaste and pure life. Like, I don't know who she thinks she is to make that kind of comment. I mean, I'm judging her. <laughs> I'm judging her. Okay, maybe I am, but, you know, I have to at least pretend like I'm not. I am judging her for being with someone that's like her son's age. I just find it yeah. weird. I I don't know. I judge David Foster for marrying someone that's younger than one of than his kids. Like, that's weird to me. I don't know. It just feels weird. I'm allowed to think that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah. So going back to season two, there is something that really caught me off guard and a couple things. 
One is the Joe Francis of it all. So he was in the middle of this huge fight at a party where he mentioned that he slept with both Joanna Krupa and her sister Marta. And he said he met them 10 years earlier when they had just moved to L.A. And I did a little math, and Marta was not an adult when the supposed tryst happened, which means it's, like, I believe, legally statutory rape. And during this party where this was all happening at Lisa's house, and it was being talked about, and Marta was like, yeah, I slept with him. And she was very drunk and very like she was like on something she was very uncomfortable at that party and I was like this is so creepy and wasn't Joe Francis involved in some like pretty awful stuff like sexual assault and like wasn't he in jail and I don't know I don't like I was just like oh my god this is like with the me too era of it all yeah the season two Miami was not aging well yikes yeah I I don't remember all of that but from the way you're describing it does does not sound good listeners like let me know if you've gone back and watched season two Miami especially that big it was like also a lingerie party at Lisa's house, and it was supposed to be around like raising funds for breast cancer awareness or research. But part of me was like, wait, lingerie? Like when people get breast cancer, if you have to get a double mastectomy, like maybe you don't want to wear lingerie. Like, is that? I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, what is happening here? And then there was also. Like the arguments between the different like drag performers, like Elaine Lancaster, and it was Leah Black bringing all her buddies, and she was best friends with everyone, and she brought Joe Francis, and so this leads me to the next thing that I think um, others probably know more, but I really liked the woman named Anna on season two. I found her charming and relatable, and then when there was the reunion. She was like guns blazing, like viscerally attacking Leah Black. And it seemed as if there were things that were cut out of that reunion that made it hard for the viewer to understand why she was so angry with Leah, right? And I rewatched, I think, three times to like catch what I thought it could be. And then I went on Reddit for one of the first times ever, and I still don't know how to use it. But apparently what happened, allegedly, is that Anna brought up that Leah Black's husband, Roy Black, was representing Jeffrey Epstein. And we all know Jeffrey Epstein now. But back in the day, I don't know, I think he might have been one of the lawyers to concoct that like deal where he basically got off from what he had done. And there is a moment where Anna says, like, you mentor young women. Like, she says this to Leah Black. Like, and so I'm thinking, is that what was actually cut out? Because it doesn't make sense to me why there's that negative attitude towards her. Just for being bitchy? Like, eh. 
Yeah. I mean, that would certainly make a lot of sense and great detective work. Um, I mean, the Jeffrey Epstein thing was happening just up the road in Palm Beach. So that would definitely make sense if that were the case. Another example. He definitely represented Jeffrey Epstein. I just wasn't sure if this was the point of contention with all of them. And I know that she had said that the one thing that was off limits for her was discussing her husband's clients. But yet she brought people on the show like Joe Francis, who, you know, also are, you know, these. And then looking at her now, and she's like the most outspoken, like left Democratic, you know, person on Twitter that's a former housewife. And I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it seems like another example of housewives making their own rules and deciding you know, where am I putting up that fourth wall of things that can and can't be discussed? Um, I don't. Right. I think that's a lot of the problem with Salt Lake right now, honestly, is that it's a new show. Production seems a little bit gun shy in the sense of forcing the castmates to do or say things, whether it's, you know, letting Meredith and Mary not take the bus, whether it's, um, I don't know, just just there seems like this huge fourth wall in Salt Lake. And I think there's elements of that with other housewives in other cities. And um, I don't know, it's, it's just not really fair to us as viewers. Yeah. And I don't want to blame a woman like Leah Black for the actions of her husband. And I don't want to say that what her husband's doing is wrong. Like people aren't entitled to a defense. It just, um, you know. I think there were some things in that Jeffrey Epstein deal that I think he was involved in that I think anyone could find some problems with feeling like it skirted, you know, the the law a bit. So anyway, all that was very um, interesting and it was kind of awkward to watch and we kind of haven't seen Anna much since. Um, So this season... We've got Larsa, Alexi, and Lisa back. And then we've got Gertie, Julia, and Nicole. So let's go through them. I want to get your thoughts on each of them. So Gertie, what are your what's your like reaction to Gertie thus far? I think she's fabulous. I think it's really cool um, the way that the storyline weaves in with the fact that she's planning Alexia's wedding. I think that'll set up for some really good tension and professional discourse, uh, at least from Gertie, it might not be so professional coming from Alexia, but I think that's great. Um, I think her love story with her husband is really adorable. I love them. I I know, but it's so funny how blue collar and removed from this fast and furious lifestyle he is. And him being on camera, he's so cute and awkward and I love it um but yeah I think Gertie's great and she knows how to throw a throw a mean party I'm obsessed with her voice like the cadence of it and it's so fast and bouncy it's like she it's like her words are dancing yeah I love it I love it and she it's like listening to a podcast on like 1.5 speed it's it's just like a little bit too quick, but you're you're catching it. But you're wait, what? What? <laughs> she's she's adorable. I find her yeah. very sweet. I love the attention she's bringing to Haiti, and Absolutely. um, you know, 
she's so full disclosure. I don't think I had animosity to Larsa until this last few weeks when and when she didn't show up to the Haiti fundraiser until like it was basically over. And I decided then and there that she's full of shit, that she thinks that she's better than everyone and that she doesn't have to play by the same rules, but also that she doesn't care. Like this is not just a charity event, a charity event about something extremely personal to Gertie. She lost her brother. She lost her nieces. And then she's doing something amazing to try and raise funds to support the children there. And sorry. So I kind of, I kind of soured on Larsa after that. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's just, it's a bad look. Like you said, she's playing by her own rules in this sense. It just came off as super cold and callous and uncaring and And, not cool. And I think Marisol can be all of those things, cold, callous, and uncaring. But she showed up. She didn't realize, it appears, like the personal story that Gertie's family had experienced. And I remember her saying, wow, her brother, aunt, wait, her nieces too. And, you know, it's it's moving. And it anyone who's not moved by that, like, is too wrapped up in their own crap. Um, okay, moving on to Julia. <laughs> Have we ever had a housewife like Julia? I mean, no, but I love her. <laughs> like, the quir- she's so quirky. She's so positive. She rarely gets rattled. I mean, and she doesn't seem to be there for drama. And so, you know, but she also is the first um, same-sex, like like housewife with a same-sex partner. Yeah. So, so cool. very cool. I would describe Julia, and this is a term that I've coined myself, as a chill girl. She is just go with the flow. You know, she'll show up to these fabulous parties and like look amazing, but just be there for a good time. She doesn't have an agenda like a lot of the Mm. other housewives do. And she raises goats. So (laughs) she's a chill girl. (laughs) And I mean, she's so funny. She reminds me a lot of my dad in a certain way, like both Russian and animal lovers and kind of quirky and just like a little off the beaten path, you know. I like- loved, <laughs> I loved when Nicole was like, you know, I I've had people bring a bottle of champagne, a bottle of liquor as a housewarming, never a dozen eggs. I was like, go off, Julia. This is amazing. It's amazing. Like, so she raises chickens and is able to get so many fresh eggs. I mean, that's. And her experience also, like, coming from Russia, getting out of Russia, all the different men that she's been with um, before meeting Martina. And she had that son that had, like, so tragic. At, like, four months old, he had um, shaken baby syndrome. So someone that, that the nanny or whatever, like, shook him hard enough that it caused a brain injury and killed him. I mean, the guilt you must feel as a mother leaving someone in your, you know, your child in, in the care of a person that hurts them. Oh, man. I feel like yeah. everyone was trying to, like, no one wanted to seem to go into that story more. And I, I know there was that awkward moment where she was sharing it and Gertie was sharing 
like her losses. And then Adriana was like yelling at Gertie. And I was like, Adriana, can you get out of the way so these two women can like talk, you know? And then Adriana just has to be like, I lost my brother to cancer. Too. Like, Yeah, like, that was so oh. annoying. This is like the worst way to say it. Oh. Um, what do you think of Julia and Adriana's relationship? So I, I think it's a little inappropriate. Um, and maybe from the sense that I do feel like Julia's sexuality is fetishized. I don't, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but I feel like they're, um, I don't know, not really like giving her the respect that she deserves um, in the sense that she's being really courageous to be the first LGBTQ housewife. Um, And the Adriana of it all, you know, maybe they have this great friendship. If I were in Martina's position, I would not be comfortable with it. But I think the, the problem that I have with it is that Adriana is making it okay for people to kind of think it's like this fun joke that, you know, she's married to a woman or or she sleeps with women, but it's a part of who she is and it's central to her identity. And I don't know, it just, it doesn't make me feel good the way that they're making light of it. And, and Lisa had a comment, I think it was Lisa when they were staying at the hotel and having the slumber party that was like, Oh, Julia is my fantasy. And I don't know. I don't think it's giving the topic the respect that it deserves. Yeah. Uh, It's just, I didn't even think of it that far. That's definitely more deep than what I, I just think it's inappropriate of Julia to flirt so much with Adriana and I, and and to like invite it by not saying no, because she's the one that's married. And then Adriana is like trying to push buttons and in a way that feels like very disrespectful yeah, um, agreed. And also, I don't think I'm ever going to get over everyone's reactions to Julia being very sick in the Hamptons. Adriana <laughs> apparently had suggested giving her a Xanax. Did you catch yeah, that? That that's was not like, it. <laughs> you're like going to kill this woman. <laughs> Oh, man. I felt so bad. And it was so Russian of her to not acknowledge how much she drank. I don't think she actually remembers how much she drank. And so in her mind, she'll just be like, I drank a little. And then I got really sick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then for a lot of the other women to write it off as a hangover. Yes, it's a hangover. But like hangovers can can kill people if it's alcohol poisoning and you go through like a withdrawal like it's really scary yeah definitely I mean I did think it was really nice the way that Adriana really did take care of her um I mean luckily they had Nicole who's a doctor uh around Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean not not a great situation I've been there but I feel like I'm maybe half her age so (laughs) maybe it's okay for me but uh (laughs) Yeah, I mean, not like a, I, I bet none of those women had dealt with a hangover that bad uh, I mean, in quite some time. Where you actually need medical intervention. It was, yeah. I was also, um, thought it was brilliant of Nicole to put the masks back on 
because mm-hmm. COVID sometimes can have GI very serious GI mm. symptoms. And so I think she immediately was like, hey, I know she was drinking, but this is really serious. Like, let's put masks back on. I took that more as the paramedics were coming. And like, I feel like when they're filming in this house, there's they don't have to wear masks. Production's oh. probably wearing them. I took it more as like paramedics were coming and like they had to go back to the real world and like wear masks. Right. This was she put on masks. Uh, at least Nicole did put a mask on before they even called the paramedics she's a smart cookie yeah no she she knows her her shit and i was like that's why when larsa was like why is everyone have their masks on again i think you know when they were saying hey she's sick like we're not entirely Mm -hmm. sure how bad this is i definitely have been there before though (laughs) um i like maybe it was four years ago now almost exactly where i was in new york for a bunch of friends birthdays and went to a taping of Watch What Happens Live as well. But this oh, Saturday, oh my God, I'm so jealous. This Saturday before, drank a lot. The most I've drank in years and years and years. And I don't remember the last part of the night. We, I don't know. Um, but I got very sick and was throwing up for like the whole day. And I was, I've never felt so like I couldn't get out of bed I so I called one of those IV like docs in New York or whatever and they came and they gave me an IV and they gave me um Zofran through IV to make me stop vomiting and I was okay for a little bit and then it like came back and I just like was sick for days and I went back on the train to DC and I still was sick and it was just like I don't know what it was. I just couldn't get out of bed for like five days. So I went to my doctor, my primary care doctor. And I was like, he was like, you're just a drunk bitch. I literally was (laughs) like, I think I've been hungover for five days. And she's like, that's not possible. And I'm like, no, really. I've been hungover for five days. Like I can't keep food down. Like I just, I feel, I just feel so sick. (laughs) Turns out I had the flu. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, well, at least like, you had a good excuse. She's like, I'm not <laughs> saying that you didn't drink too much. I'm just saying that when you became hungover, the onset of your flu symptoms also began and you have a very high fever, which, which is probably why you haven't been able to get out of bed. I haven't drank anywhere near that since. Oh, man. Just takes one of those times to learn your lesson, I, for sure. I've never been so, like, desperate to get an IV, ever. Oh I was gosh, like, I need yeah. this so badly. Like, I'm so sick. Oh, I'm man. going to a, to a bachelorette this weekend, my first one. And uh, one of the girls is a nurse. And we're like, can you get us IVs? <laughs> so <laughs> I've never had one for just, like, recreational use. Only when I was dying of a kidney infection um, yeah. have I had one. But... I think that could be a game changer. This is my only time outside of like a hospital or medical. And I literally would have gone to the hospital if I could have gotten out of bed. Like that's how terrible I felt. Um, But I didn't make the connection that I also had a fever. (laughs) That'll get (laughs) you. Oh, what a mess. Um, Okay. So just want to also talk about Nicole finally and Kiki. Can't forget Kiki. Mm. Yeah. So Nicole she kind of has this almost immaturity to her. I mean, I think a lot of it is that she's much younger than the other women and 
Um, I think it's kind of like Noella on Orange County. Like she's just, I mean, not in the chaotic all over the place kind of way, but just this immaturity. I think Leah from New York kind of also had it. I don't know, but I attribute a lot of the way it's a lot of the way that she acts to that. I think she got absolutely cornered and caught on her back foot at that dinner table in the Hamptons. Um, And now I think she's kind of going to be trying to come back from that. I think she had, I really liked her in the beginning. I feel for her. It sucks that Marisol really ganged up on her. um, And now she looks a little silly, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Cause I do think she is really interesting. She's beautiful. Her house is beautiful. I don't know. What what do you think? I have a totally different take. Okay. I think she's quite mature for, yeah, I feel like she wants to resolve conflict. She's able to get past things, but she also, if someone shows her disrespect, I feel like for her, that stings harder than maybe for other people. Like she doesn't come back from that, from being disrespected and uh, maybe that's because of what it means to be a doctor in her field, to be a young yeah. woman, all you know, everything. The disrespect I think she feels her father gave to her family, but I think she feels that Marisol disrespected her. Now, all the things they were saying at that dinner, there was not video footage of her saying anything, and... Marisol never said, I heard Nicole say X. She said, people around town are telling me that you're going around talking about people. Now, the only thing they had on camera was what she said about Larsa and OnlyFans, which I didn't think was bad. It was like, hey, I thought this was one thing. I looked into it. My bad. Right? So... I really feel like Marisol's trying to make something that there's no proof that it actually happened just to gang up on Nicole because Nicole apparently to her doesn't show her the respect that, that Marisol thinks she deserves. But then Nicole doesn't get the respect for Marisol. Like it's, they're just completely disrespectful to one another. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't really decide how I feel about it on the one hand. Yes, there's no proof. It could be uh, totally made up. But it's the other. on the other hand, it's pretty believable. I don't know. Nicole maybe was feeling a little hot to trot. She got this gig. She was going to be on the show. She maybe said some things around town that she shouldn't have. I don't know. I think she is getting treated unfairly. Again, I think there's this dichotomy of Marisol and the OGs like trying to vie for their spot. Again, they don't know if they're full-time or not. There's this weird power dynamic. Um, But we'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I don't have a super strong opinion one way or the other. I like, I like her a lot. I want to see more yeah. of her. I love seeing. Agreed physicians as housewives i think yeah. they bring something unique. anesthesiologists yeah her and no dr joke. moon are bringing something like Go they're off. very sharp <laughs> and i think they're very yeah. like even though doctors aren't necessarily known for this it's more lawyers like they're very good at their arguments and making points and mm-hmm. 
I feel like all of them gossip about each other and say little flippin' things. Yeah, that's and a she's great point. Saying things about people that she did not yet have a relationship with. I think it's very different for Alexia to say something not so nice about Marisol when they've been friends for 20 yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she heard her say it, she said. So, yeah. I don't know. I felt like. And then there's Kiki, who I. Kiki's great. Just, I want to see more of her. She's so like happy go lucky. She's got the best looks. She's fun. But I'm hoping that if she stays as a friend of, we still get more, more from her, you know? Yeah. I mean, I loved her when she did the boxing match with Lisa. That was (laughs) so fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, she's great. She's bringing it. Like, I think what's working really well with uh, Miami is that there's a lot of them. They're not, you can't really tell who's full-time and who's not. I don't know. Part of me is like, what was the point of making some are and some aren't? I don't know, whatever. Um, but like, I don't know, Beverly Hills last season, it felt like there were too many of them. It was a little chaotic. You didn't really get enough of anyone, but it's really working this season for me. <laughs> you wanting to say Miami. Um, it's really <laughs> working for them. I think they all have such great interpersonal relationships and um, I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, I think it might be my favorite franchise right now. It's probably my favorite. That it's probably the one I look forward to the most. I also yeah. love Jersey right now. Um, Salt oh, yeah. Lake is dark, but Exhausting. I can't look away. Yeah, I I don't let it exhaust me. I know everyone else finds it like too much. I just like watch it and then let it go. But it's a dark experience while I'm watching. <laughs> well, I I kept. I I converted so many people who don't even watch Housewives or maybe watch like one of the franchises. I was like, you have to watch Salt Lake. It's so interesting. There's this religious backdrop. It's just, it's got so many dimensions. It's great. And so I feel like I was like really leaning into Salt Lake. I was like gearing up for the new season and the Shaw Rest and all of that stuff. And the past few weeks have just been mentally exhausting for me. And I don't know what to make of it. Again, I think the production crew is very novice and I don't love that they're rushing into filming season three. I know it's because of Jen going to trial, but it just feels like we need to take a break and like pump the brakes, take a breath, maybe think about where the direction that we want to go with Salt Lake going forward. Yeah, I I feel like season three could be really good because Whitney and Heather will see people's reactions to them and how they're full of shit and stick to being themselves rather than playing whatever role production wants them to play. Like Whitney needs to chill out with trying to move a story along. It's exhausting. It makes her look bad. Just be yourself, honey. Just be yourself. And it will all be okay. And I think they all just need to learn to stop trying to move things along. But I also want them to start finally saying things about each other that they seem to not want to bring up. And I'm hoping that maybe we see it um, this coming week at 
you know, the season finale where they finally say who slept with who or whatever secrets they're all holding on to about each other. But just get it out in the open because all this dancing around is weird and annoying for the viewers. (laughs) Yeah, it's so annoying. And it goes back to the fact that Whitney and Heather, bad weather, if you will, um, they've admitted that they are studied in the art of housewifery. And so it's it's just it's coming through really transparently. We see right through it. Like, please stop. Also, prediction. I think that bad weather and Lisa are are going to form an alliance because at this point. They kind of have to. Lisa is so concerned and like you've said, like her identity, being a housewife is is part of her identity. And she's so concerned with making the show a success because I think there were, you know, talks that she was maybe involved in production and kind of getting it set up from the beginning. I think it's like one of her businesses. It's like Vita Tequila. She wants to see it succeed. And so I think she's going to come to realize that you know, we can't keep doing this. I won't film with so-and-so and and they're going to create this alliance and we'll just have to see where it plays out. I really, really hope that they can get some fresh, um, fresh faces in the mix who genuinely have a relationship to these women and can be a part of the storyline without just being extraneous. We'll have to see what happens. I agree. I also, so I want, any new people to have a real like relationship with these women. But I also don't want them to be so thirsty that they're like vying to be on camera. And Angie Harrington is someone who's friends with them, but she seems so thirsty Mm -hmm. and maybe we need to give her a chance. Right. But like, I think production tried to give her a chance and it, it wasn't, they didn't go with her. And so I don't know. Maybe this is a freezing cold take, but I kind of liked the catering caterer gate of it all. Like that, <laughs> that confrontation with Lisa, while yes, it was like very forced, like it was no less forced than Whitney being like, I just feel like you guys like aren't being honest. Like we need like, you know what I mean? Like it was right. no less forced than anything else that was happening with the show. I think she would have been like a good character this season and I, agree. I don't know. She would have. She would have integrated than, more. She would have been better than Jenny. Jenny, really. She, she who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, she really messed up big time. But she Let's probably see. shouldn't have been cast to begin with. Mm. <sighs> Talk about a letdown. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being on the podcast. You know, I know you said you didn't want to do this to gain followers or anything, but is there anything you want to plug? share your social media or not, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, well, I think what I, I I don't really have any memorable content from myself, but I would love it if you're listening to this, if you could check out Refugee Action Fund, that's the handle on Instagram. You can also go to refugeeactionfund.org. Like I said, there's so many different ways that you can get involved with the refugee community. And I think the first one is just understanding, um, what being a refugee looks like and, you know, the different challenges that folks face when they're being resettled into a culture that is completely different than their own. And so just check it out. You might learn something new. And um, yeah, Mandy, I just want to thank you again so much for having me. This has been so fun. Oh, thank you so much for being on. And 
Uh, we'll definitely do something this fall when there is a fundraising opportunity. Um, I know a lot of times there's like friends and family and different kinds of, you know, fundraising moments. And uh, September is going to be, oh my God, the my dad's 43rd anniversary of coming to the U.S., I think. I think. I'm trying to do the math in my head. Yeah, so um, I always like to, on his anniversary, um, donate to Hyas. And anytime I see a story that upsets me in the news about refugees and what's going on in Afghanistan, I donate to Hyas. So we'll we'll put together a whole slew of um, donation opportunities this, this coming fall. Yeah, looking forward to it. 